You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, should we talk about the big issue in the room? Uh, It's a sad week, isn't it, for all of us and a big week of shock for many and of sadness as uh, Graham would uh, testify to. Uh, Even uh, though I've known about his announcement for many months, uh, it really hit me emotionally on Wednesday when we'd hit the button on the email and I had to say goodbye to him in the office and and realise that uh, there will be a goodbye soon and that there is a date upon that. And I think for each and every one of us, Uh, With that comes a level of uh, uncertainty, a level of uh, fear in that, if we're real with it, as to what is going to happen for Northside's future. But I'm sure he's not going to mind me saying this because he's lived this, he's breathed this in this church. And that is that our senior pastor, Graham Agnew, is not Northside Community Church. And... And even better, when I went back into the Word, I saw that there, were, there was a wonderful case study of what happened when the church's leader uh, transitioned. You see in Acts chapter 8, uh, Stephen, one of the great leaders of the church, he didn't get to go uh, on a retirement transition down to the sunny suburbs of Adelaide. Uh, he got stoned to death. And it said that a great persecution broke out against the church and the church was scattered everywhere and this incredible thing began to happen. People went into homes and they went into towns and they went out from Jerusalem and they began to preach the word of gospel and more people became Christians and the church begins to grow. And how is that? Why is that? Now let's, let's, let's separate uh, practices from principles here. If... The church was just about buildings. If the church was just about programs, if the church was just about its leaders, which, look, all of those things are important, but if that's what church was all about, then back then in those primitive days, the whole thing should have fallen flat on its face, right? But it didn't. Church exploded. Christianity exploded throughout the the, the countryside. Why is that? Because there's a dynamic here. There's a dynamic. Here's here's a dynamic. You ready for it? It's... The dynamics this, it was every member ministry that, that, that in the absence of their leaders and their ministers, every member of the church was now responsible for ministry. Uh, every member was responsible for spreading the news of the gospel. Every member was responsible from going to city to city, from home to home. And look, what does that show us today? It shows us that that, that essence is not the buildings, the programs, the leaders. The essence of Christianity is relationships, how you correlate to other people around you. It's something that I've loved about Graham's ministry that he's always modeled to us each and every week. And so guys, tonight, you and I stand at a threshold, at a new season in the life of this church where this news of our much-loved leader uh, allows us to ask ourselves the question that uh, w- w- will w- will I be an every member minister? W- will I get what the essence of the church is all about? And so, what this whole series of correlate has been about—it's been no accident in knowing where we're going uh, this year and the timing of where we stand tonight in this announcement. Here's, here's why God put correlate on my heart as we look through effectively just the last few chapters of the book of Romans. Here's what it's about. 
It's about the fact that your vertical relationship with God affects your horizontal relationships. That is how God affects me affects how I affect you. <laughs> Are you with me? How God affects me affects how, how I affect you. The vertical relationship affects the horizontal relationships. And we'll see that in Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there with me now, we'll read through. Now, the passage is titled Living Sacrifice is one of Paul's famous ones. It says here in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Romans 12 starts with an amazing word. Uh, Therefore... You know the classic church saying, isn't it? If, it, if, it's, if you see therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? You always go back a few chapters and see why Paul has said therefore. And Romans 12 is, is really coming after chapters 1 to 11 of this whole book. Uh, this incomparable survey of the gospel and of truth and of God and of life and, and the way that it, it's supposed to grab you and sin and salvation. And, and Paul says, therefore, if you believe what I'm saying in verses 1 to 11, then you're going to act like this. Chapters 1 to 11, then, then you'll act like this. And in fact, all of the whole of the rest of Romans is around these two verses on being living sacrifices. And essentially it's saying that the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ transforms two types of relationships. The first one it transforms is your vertical relationship, your relationship with God. But the second relation, set of relationships that it transforms is your horizontal relationships, and that is your relationships with each other. Now you're thinking, what do you mean horizontal relationships? It sounds a bit sus. Um, verse 2, verse 2. Verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world. What is the patterns of the world? You look, you go into, you go into Dimmicks, for example. You go into Dimmicks. What's, the, what's one of the biggest sections in a, in a Dimmicks bookshop? Clearance. The clearance section. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, clever. Comedian. <laughs> I was going to say the self-help section. I walked into Dimmicks once, I asked for, I went up to the guy, I said, can you point me in the direction of the self-help section? And he said, if I did that, it would defeat the purpose. <laughs> Thought I'd throw that in. Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, self-help section, yeah. Uh, good food, good diets. Have you ever read the New York Times bestseller list at the moment? About half of the top ten books on the New York Times bestseller list is about diets. Everyone's trying a new different diet. There's all different techniques. There's all different types of religions, all sorts of help. And it just, we seem to be more and more in the days. Uh, talking of horizontal relationships, oh, I've got to go there. Um, uh, seriously, 
I'm trying to get fit again because we're getting up to summer. So I went to buy a men's health magazine. If you, ever, if you ever read a men's health magazine, you've always noticed that there's some revolutionary 13 new ways to drive her crazy. Right? 13 new techniques to drive her crazy. Now, last time I looked at a men's health magazine was about 10 years ago. And there were 13 ways to drive her crazy then. Apparently, there's still 13 ways to drive her crazy. Now, if you look at Cosmo as well, there's 15 more techniques to drive your men wild. And we, we see in our culture, we are the most sexed culture uh, in the world. It, and, and, and if this has been going on for years and years and week after week after week, there's some new technique. You see, look, the world's having plenty of sex. They're, they're having it all the time. But, but why is the technique there? Why has it always got to be better? Why could it always be better? Because something's missing. That the, the physicality of it all is, is there, but there's something deep down that's broke. Something's broken. Why is that? The Bible says it's the pattern of the world. Romans 1, if you flick back there in your own time, will explain it better. But here's what it is. Here's what's going on. Romans 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. That, that in, in that wonderful act that there is something beautiful and wonderful in, in bringing about your, your spiritual and your emotional nakedness should match your physical nakedness. And all of that being created by God to point you back to, to just a glimpse and a snippet of the wonderful relationship that you can have with Him. It's just, it's just a sniff of what you can have with God. And, and yet people chase the act than, rather than the creator himself. In, in other words, what I'm saying is that the Bible says the pattern of the world is this. That we elevate the creation to the point where it lacks the capacity to fulfill its promises. You, you, look, you, look, you, look, at it with, you look at it with food. I'll I t- I tell you this, this principle gone right, wild. Have you ever seen how many people take photos of their food and put it on Facebook? Are you one of those people that take photos of your food and put it on Facebook? Yeah, Mish, we're going to pray for you after the service. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, there's something wonderful and beautiful in a meal. A good, and I mean a good meal, not the Macca's stuff that the youth team shoves in their face on the way to youth and it's still halfway through their car and still stinks like that during the week. I'm talking about a great, a great, a great steak and pepper and there's, there's just... It, it's almost an act of worship in enjoying a wonderful meal like that, right? But when, when we twist that, when we elevate it to, to something more than it really is, I mean, have you seen how dressed up people get for brunch these days? People get so doled up for brunch these days. Why? Because relationship, worship, that, elevating the creation above the creator. That's the pattern of the world. So the problem is something's missing in our horizontal relationships. Something's missing in that. Why is that? We've got to understand why the horizontal relationships are frustrated. And, and it's far deeper than just not getting along. It's far deeper than that. It's, 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 it's what we, the Bible calls the breakdown of shalom. The breakdown of peace is the way that we translate it. But shalom's far deeper than the word peace. Because you look at it here, Isaiah 58 verse 7 has this quite obscure verse, but we'll see what it means in a second. It says, uh, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Now, 
what is a poor wanderer in biblical terms? A poor wanderer is an alien, a person of another race, a, a person of another ethnicity, a refugee. And, and notice the sentiment in the last sentence there. It says, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now stay with me here. How, how can God apply this term of family to another person of the human race? Because in ancient times, family was everything. Family was your support network. If, if your family wasn't moving ahead, you weren't moving ahead. And so what God is saying is that if there is a stranger of another race or ethnicity who is hungry and poor in your neighborhood, they are as much as your flesh and blood as if they were your own family. Now, what's, what's it getting at deeper here? God's saying, I hold you responsible for them. Now, what he's talking about here is the original pattern of the world, and that pattern was shalom. That shalom is, is just so much more than getting along. Here's what shalom means. Here's what shalom means. I've got to be honest with you. I like to cross-stitch every now and then. I don't mind a mean cross-stitch. It's good fun in holiday time. It is school holidays at the time. And, and, and it's satisfying, isn't it? To, isn't it? <laughs> to, to, to take this wonderful, beautiful pattern of a rose or something similar and to begin to, to weave in and out single thread by thread by thread by thread into a pattern that eventually emerges as a beautiful picture that you never thought could quite be there in the first place. Shalom means God created the world as a cross-stitch. That there was, there was a pattern to relationship of peace and joy and self-sacrificing love that he intended from the beginning. And, and if you just go and throw a bunch of threads together on the ground, that's not, a, that's not a cross stitch. No, you've got to pick every single one up. It's a red one. It's got to go here and it's got to go here. Every thread has got to be woven and wound together through every specific hole. And the more interwoven they are, the more beautiful they are. You see what the Bible's saying? The Bible's saying that all of the entities, all the relationships of the world were meant to be beautiful and harmonious and interdependent and knitted and horizontal relationship to each other. That's the way it was meant to be. But that's broke. Where do we go wrong? The Bible talks about it, Genesis 1 to 3, when we went our own way in the garden. You know what happened there? It wasn't eating an apple. <laughs> Adam and Eve pulled a thread. And that sheet has been unraveling year after year after year down the generations. And God's wonderful picture of his tapestry is broken uh, in sin and the breakdown of health and the breakdown ultimately of relationships we no longer correlate. And so ultimately, here's the simple thing of what Shalom is saying. God is saying, because the vertical relationship, because your relationship with me has unraveled, every other relationship unravels. It's the breakdown of... Shalom. That's, so this is what we're talking about when we look at why the vertical relationship is so important. And so what does it mean to get this vertical relationship right? As we start to get a bit practical here, halfway through, it, it says, uh, for, uh, he says, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what is a living sacrifice? That's a funny word, isn't it? Um, Greek word, it means literally a living killing. 
live as a living killing. It, it was, uh, look, for those who were Jewish, they would have understood this. Even the Greeks, these ancient religions, uh, they would have to go into the temple and offer up sacrifices in order to make themselves right with the gods. And so, and so it's very uh, subtle what Paul is doing here. He's, he's using this imagery, and, and in doing that, it shows us what this life of being a living sacrifice is not and what it is, what it's not and what it is. Here's what it's not. You see, in the temple there, if, if you're always giving out a sacrifice in order to be right with God, it was an atoning sacrifice. It was a right that made you, a sacrifice that made you right with Him. But we're reading in the New Testament here. There's lots of New Testament language that says that Christ, Jesus Christ, was the atoning sacrifice once and for all. And so what it shows us as a living sacrifice is that Christianity is not a life in which you are sacrificing yourself in the hope that you will one day be right with God. You are right with God. And so that's what it's not. But what it is, Paul still uses the word sacrifice in there. He must have used it for a specific reason when he said living killing. What he's saying is, is that, that, that you are putting something to death. In fact, he's saying you're not a Christian unless you put something to death. And here it is. You're not a Christian until you've put to death the right to live your life as you see fit. That's what he means by being a living sacrifice. Now, that's a great selling point, isn't it? Many of you sitting here tonight, you might not even be a Christian. You're saying, look, that's, that's, what, that's what Christianity is? Well, awesome. I'm going to try that this week. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? Because we live in, in, in the old, one of the ultimate cultures in the world where, uh, where we all get to choose what we want to do. And where we say, I'm not living life, actually, until I'm free to choose whatever I want to do. <laughs> Forget this sacrifice business. You know, don't tell me that. I want to. I want to be free from everything. But here's what I got to say to to you tonight. Look, please, please don't kid yourself. We're we're all not really free. You see, it may it may not be to God, but we're, we're always sacrificing to someone or something. You could be sacrificing yourself to your career. You could be sacrificing yourself to the hope of a, of, of a love relationship. You could be uh, sacrificing yourself to uh, the objective of wealth. We, we make, we're, we're sacrificing ourselves all the time. Paul got that. Paul's always talking about this stuff. And the irony is if, if those things fail you, you, you'll literally want to sacrifice yourself. But, but, but Paul says it's a living sacrifice. In other words, yes, there's a killing of yourself, but there's also a new life. And that is this, that God is the only one. Once you actually give up your life for him, you actually get a new one. That finally you are free, that there's a deeper joy in the midst of it. That's the vertical relationship, the life of living sacrifice. And so what does that look like? What does it look like quickly as we finish up tonight? What does this vertical life of living sacrifice look like? Look like? Here's the first thing. It's all of life. In verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies. Now, we, we wouldn't get this because we're not Greek or Roman from an ancient religion, but in those religions, body was bad, spirit was good. You know, flesh bad, soul wonderful. And so to say offer your bodies as a sacrifice, uh, that was so foreign to them. But more importantly, we can see the principles there is that Paul's not just saying, Oh, look, I'm only concerned about your soul. About your spirit, that that if you just have a nice, 
inner thought of what you're doing, that it's, it's going to be okay. No, what he's saying is, it's far deeper than that. He's saying your body is the way that your soul and your spirit interacts with the world. That your body is an overflow of your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. And so in other words, he's saying really clearly that to be a living sacrifice means to commit all of your life to God. It means no Sunday life and then Monday life. It, it means no public life and then private life. It means no just outer life and inner life. It, it means for you and I, and we talked about this before, is there an identity about you? Are you identical in every situation? Are you exactly the same in the seat here as you are in your seat at your work desk? It means all of life. The second thing it means, though, is it's, it's an inner life. Look at this. Uh, verse 2, it says, But do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, what does that look like? It says, uh, verse 3, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. And what this means is if you are getting the gospel, then you'll never think too highly of yourself, but you'll also never think too lowly of yourself. Sober judgment, well thought out judgment. And I mean, how many times have we seen that the approaches to the world's self-image is that of um, self-esteem, of talking, or talking yourself up? You know, you're, you're a princess. You're a, you're a princess. You know, it's, it's, it's self, self-talk. You know, this happiness movement that's happening all the time. It's self-talk. But Christians have access to a self-image that's radically different from that. You know, the, 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 the gospel says, as Martin Luther puts it, you are simul justus et peccator. He said you're, you're, you're justified sinners, you're righteous sinners. In other words, what, what he said in that is that you, he says you are, you're more evil than you dared imagine, but you're more loved than you dared believe at the same time. And so what that means is when you see yourself as a sinner saved by God's grace, then you can't think too highly of yourself because you're just as lost as everyone else. But when you see the very love of God being poured out upon you in the gospel, then that stops your low self-esteem because you're more loved than anyone could ever imagine. And so can you see what the gospel does, the vertical does to your horizontal relationships? Stops you thinking of you're too high of yourself because you're a sinner saved by God's grace. And so therefore, you're not, you don't feel superior to everyone else. But at the same time, you are wonderfully and beautifully loved by God. And so therefore, you don't feel inferior to everyone else. The vertical affects the horizontal. It's an inner life. And when the vertical's right, the horizontal's right too. But finally, it's a servant life. The gospel not only affects all of your life or your inner life, but it makes you a servant. Take a look at this, verses 4 to 6. It says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now, this passage is talking about spiritual gifts. Talked about that a few times already, so we should be getting this, and that's why we can skip through it. But look at them serving, teaching, encouraging, giving. Yes, giving is a spiritual gift. And if any of you want to exercise that tonight, feel free to go to the partner with us box at the end of the service. <laughs> but no, giving is a spiritual gift. But we won't hash up over spiritual gifts again, but let's just pick up on two things. It says, To each is given different gifts. And so, what that means, to each is given different gifts. 
gifts. You know, a better way to describe these is not spiritual gifts, but ministering abilities. This is every member ministry. This is Acts chapter 8 ministry. This is dynamite ministry. This is God, church explosion ministry here. And, and, and so to each is given different gifts. Here's what it means here quickly. First thing it means is there should be no unemployed Christians in the church. There should be no people who, who come to church just to consume. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the great ministries we have to people here is that people can sit and they can heal. You know, people have been burnt by church, by other people. But, but, but you know deep in your heart, if you're here just to recharge the batteries in order to live the life you want tomorrow, then, uh, then, then, then you're coming to church not to serve but to be served. Jesus himself said the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, right? So you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and say, lay it on me. Should be no unemployed Christians in the church. The other one is, it means this, you're a snowflake. You are a beautiful snowflake. Each and every one of you. You know what's wonderful about snowflakes? Each and every one of them is unique. God has given you gifts. God has given you talents. God has given you abilities that are absolutely unique. And the incredible thing about that is that means in his grand plan and purposes that there could be tonight in this room... uh, a person here, or there could be someone in your family, in your neighborhood, that only you can minister to. Then that unique com- combination, God in all of his sovereignty brings both of you together and your plans uh, are, are, are wrapped up in his purposes. And so you're a snowflake. <laughs> and that's exciting. <laughs> and so it means you have a servant life. It's all of life, it's an inner life, it's a servant life. And so the message of Jesus so affects your vertical relationship with God that you do that. Now, tonight, the next few weeks as we finish, it's, the question we're going to be asking ourselves is, is it possible to correlate? Is it possible to love the unlovely in a sincere way? Is it possible to love your enemy as yourself? Is it possible to love those who are less mature than you? Is it possible to res- respect the authority of the world around you and respect God at the same time? And the answer is probably yes in two ways. If, if you try hard enough, if you, if you summon up a little bit of self-will and strength and you try it, you probably could. <laughs> but, but, but that's like saying, look, can, can you mow, can you get rid of the weeds in your garden? And you say, yes, I can by mowing over the top of them. But what's going to happen? They're just going to come up again. You can mow over weeds or you can pull them out by the roots and see the essence of the Christian life is not that you're living a good life or you're living a life, uh, but, but, but why you're living the good life. Because there are lots of people, don't get me wrong, who are non-Christians who care for the poor and do wonderful things. We've talked about that, God's common grace. In fact, the world would be a horrible place if it was only the Christians that they did the nice things in the world. But, but lots of people do wonderful things, but what makes a Christian different is not that they're the only people doing good things in the world, but they have a power, an engine room, a dynamic as to why they do these good things. What is that? A new motive. They've gotten to the roots. They don't mow over the top. They've gotten to the roots. And here it is. Let me leave this with you. What's the motive? Paul says, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, that's a relational word. That's, it's, not, it's not I command you. He, he's appealing to us tonight through God's word. He says, I urge you, 
brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of this, in light of the big picture, in light of the gospel, what is the gospel? What is the motive? What's the engine room? The engine room is this. If you want to be a living sacrifice, you've got to see that Jesus Christ was the ultimate living sacrifice. That, that in, you know, John 10 talks about the way that he says, I, I, lie, I lay my life down in my own accord. That, that, that in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, not, not my will, but your will be done. That he walks to a hill outside of Jerusalem. That he allows himself to be nailed to the cross. And why did he offer himself? You know, he wasn't a, in some ways, he wasn't a living sacrifice. He was a destroyed sacrifice. He was a killed sacrifice. Why did he do it? He took, his, he, he took his hands off his life for you. He took his hands off his life for you, so tonight you can take your hands off your life for him. He, he, he took his hands off his life and he became a dying sacrifice. You take your hands off your life and you can become a living sacrifice. He took his hands off his life and he fell into nothingness. You take your hands off your life and you fall into his. He's the only one that if you sacrifice your life for, he won't sacrifice you. And he's the only altar that you will go and give your life to that won't kill you. It, it will give you new life. I'm saying I urge you. I'm not, Paul's not saying it. I say it tonight. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to him. Offer yourselves to him. Is your vertical relationship with him right, Christian? Is, is, is your, here's how you know if it's not friend, if you don't know God, are, are your horizontal relationships right? Is, is there a warpness? Is there a brokenness beneath the surface? Living as a living sacrifice? Are you living as one, all of life, the inner life, the servant life? The bottom line is how God affects me affects how I affect you. Question for the next six weeks is how will you correlate let's pray heavenly father in light of all the wonderful things that you have done for us wherever we stand tonight we we stand before you and we just ask that through your holy spirit you will give give us a a new and a, a fresh view of 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 what it is for the way that you have loved us the way that you are taking each and every one of us every single thread in this room whether they I call you Lord or not tonight, Father, you are the great cross-stitcher. There's, there's a tapestry waiting tonight for some people in this room. There are people in this room tonight that have been unwoven. There are people in this room tonight where the horizontal relationships are breaking down and they're frustrated or even toxic because they don't have a vertical relationship with you. Father, if they're stirred tonight, I just pray that they might come ask questions as, as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us that call ourselves your children, it's a great opportunity for us tonight, a great opportunity for us in this new season to recognise the significance of every member ministry, to recognise that no one person in this place is ever bigger than your church is ever bigger than your kingdom. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we journey through this series over the next six weeks, that we will be right with you, 
and then in turn we'll, we'll begin to get right with each other. Father, do a mighty work in this place. Bind us ever closer together in ways that we are yet to experience. Make us one, make us unified. We are your church. We thank you for that. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And guys, we've come to a time of communion. We come to a time as we drink of the bread and the cup, I guess, to keep taking the analogy further and maybe it's my own self-justification that cross-stitching is okay for a guy to be doing every now and then <laughs> uh, but we've got to recognize that uh, the real needles the real needles that were doing the work were the ones that went through his hands uh, that as jesus christ bled and died for you and i he he wove us back into relationship with the father and so if, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, regardless of your denomination, regardless of your background, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, it's his invitation to you to come, to eat and to drink and to remember what it is that he's done for you. And friend, if tonight you feel the relationship's broke, you know, if something's twisted, if something's not quite right, please don't leave this place without asking the question. There's an opportunity for you tonight to be woven into a tapestry that you just can't imagine what it's going to look like at the end. It's still a work in progress. God wants to weave you back into his story and his picture and his design, not only for your life, but his plans and purposes. Don't leave this place if you've been stirred without talking to one of the ministry team, asking us what it means to commit your life to Jesus Christ. So come, uh, eat, drink. Let's take communion.